Hey, y'all, please take a seat. So excited to be with you guys in person. My name is John. I serve as pastor here at the Springs. Excited to be with everybody listening to us online. I've always loved that song, right? The first time I can really remember hearing that song, How He Loves, I was in college, so I was probably... I don't know, I think I was like 20 at the time. I was totally wrestling with Christian faith, and I went to a Christian conference for college kids. Anybody here ever heard of Passion Conferences? Okay, all right, quite a few of y'all. It's a, it's a huge, like they take over downtown Atlanta, like uh, Georgia Dome at the time. They take over the whole thing, like 50,000 college students. I can remember showing up. Man, I'm wrestling with faith. I don't know up from down. I don't know Jesus, but I think I know Jesus. I'm so confused. And I can remember sitting in a seat. It's 50,000 college kids, it seemed like. Just sang that. And they meant it. I had no idea how they had that feeling of meaning that song. The reason I start with that is that's the only thing we ever want to do here at the Springs. We want to come and give language to that intangible, the spiritual reality of how there is a God in heaven who loves you. And that love changes everything. It's this personal message Right? But it's a message that sometimes we tell people or we sing. But if you're like me, you get a little nervous. If you're a follower of Christ, that is. You get a little nervous if you're ever going to go share that with somebody one-on-one. Right? Our culture, we kind of have this idea of, hey, there's a couple topics that are like hands-off. You, you don't talk about them. Money, sex, politics, religion. Next week, we're talking about politics. Every other week, well, a lot of that overlaps. We're talking about faith itself. But it's this personal thing. We say, hey, that's a personal thing. I don't want to talk about it, or it's private. But we have other things that we want to celebrate. Like, I can remember the first time I really thought about what it meant to kind of go public with a feeling. I was 16 years old. It's a crux of my life. Not really. I had this internal feeling. Her name was Emily. My buddy Seth, good friend still to this day, he had this internal feeling. Her name was Caroline. Now, with these feelings, we also had an opportunity. That opportunity was our junior year fall homecoming dance, and we both wanted dates. We sat together. I can remember sitting at the lunch table. He felt this. I felt this. He knew this. I knew this. And we were thinking through, how do we tell them that we feel this? And we came up with a terrible and yet brilliant idea. Let me ask y'all, who's ever heard of James Blunt's song, You're Beautiful? Yeah, I'll sing it for you. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. It's true. That's literally what he sounds like, except much better. So me and my buddy, we're sitting at this lunch table. We have these like personal things. We're like, okay, we need to tell them the personal things. We got to go public with this. So we're idiots. We're fools. And we think, okay, what's romantic? Let's just embarrass them in the middle of like a high school courtyard. So this doesn't surprise some of y'all that know me, right? But I get him, Seth. We get our buddy, Chris Templin. We come forward. He's got a guitar. He and I, we can't really carry a tune. But Caroline walks out. Emily walks out. People are there. All of a sudden, dumb and dumber start singing. You're beautiful, right? And like halfway through, they're like, yes, I'll go with you. Just please stop talking, right? We had dates. It's funny, though, but it really was true. It was this idea like, hey, I'm going to make public what I feel personally. 
We do this all the time with other things, besides like religion or politics or some of those sensitive subjects. Right? You do this, and some of y'all actually, even with politics, you are doing this. Like your front yard, it's littered with signs, and you're trying to figure out how many. Now, the rest of the year or the other four years, you may not put that sign out. Why? It's a little personal. You don't always talk about it. But right now, boom, putting the sign out. Some of y'all, this is literally why you have social media accounts. You want to go public. You want the world, and sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. You want the world to make sure they know what you know, which includes my favorite. My wife, she loves food. She follows people that, that, that post what they ate. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Anybody follow like a food person where every time you open up like social media, you look and like every meal they have is gourmet and you're at Whataburger eating like a patty melt? Okay, that happens to me. Those patty melts are delicious. But we try to take this stuff, and it's personal, but we want to go public. Companies do it, but how often do we do this? Now, this is if you're a Christian, with what matters most, with faith itself. Like the thing that you, you should say defines you, identifies you more than anything else in this world. See, if you're here and you believe in Jesus, here's something that's true. Your faith is personal, but it is not private. Your faith is personal, but you are absolutely meant to go public. You don't have to come and sing silly songs in courtyards to attract attention, because probably you're in security or something like that. I don't know. Don't overthink it. But you are absolutely meant to take this thing that you say, that you believe, that you've told, that matters more to you, than anything else and go public with your classmates with your online dating profile with the people you go on the first date with the second the third the fourth with your colleagues with your children with your neighbors with your friends are you supposed to be one of those like weirdo judgmental condemning christians that just like yells judgment at other people and condemns them but you're absolutely meant to go public with this truth. He loved you when you didn't love him. He forgave you when you didn't know him. And he has called you to tell others that he loves them. I'm so excited because we are, we are working our way through our series, Matthew. Today we are going to look at the baptism of Jesus Christ, the Savior and Messiah of the world. It is this moment where in his life he does what you and I are called to do, not just in a moment of baptism, but throughout the journey of faith. We're going to talk about going public. We're going to talk about how faith in you, faith in me, it is personal. Yes, it's deep, it's emotional. You have a story to it, and your story is unlike anyone else's. It is not private. His love for you was never private. He went absolutely public with it, and people have told people who have told people who have told people who have told people who have told, who have told you. It's our turn to keep going public. And we're going to see this moment where Jesus, he goes public for you and for me. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 3. 
we're going to look at verses uh, 13 through 17. It's in this time we're going to look at going public, the reality of Jesus' baptism, but specifically through it, we're going to talk about why did he do it? What significance did it carry? Why does Jesus' baptism matter then and matter now? We're going to address this through the lens of four themes. The first, it mattered because it was the coronation of the king, the declaration of God's love, the affirmation of Jesus as Messiah, and the identification of Jesus with sinners. People like you, people like me. If you are with us last week, we saw Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, right? They're adults now. It's the beginning of ministry. John the Baptist, he'd gone out, out in the public. He's out in the, the desert. He is baptizing people with a baptism of repentance. It was this call for those who even said they were of the people of God externally. He was baptizing them because they were recognizing, no, no, you can have all the show, you can have all the facade, you can go through all the motions, but what is God after? He's after your heart. And John, man, he's just baptizing people and baptizing people and baptizing people and people in anticipation of this man named Jesus. Crowds were coming. Even those who opposed it, Pharisees, Sadducees, this massive crowd would have been gathered about a day's journey outside of Jerusalem. The stage is set. In the sovereign care of God, the Messiah journeys from Galilee And he, the one whom John the Baptist says, I am not worthy to carry his sandals, he's going to get baptized. He's going public. So I'm going to read 13 through 17, and we're going to jump back in, work our way through. Then Jesus, he came from Galilee to the Jordan to John. He came to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. Yeah, like John wasn't going to do what Jesus said. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. It's a beautiful moment and a beautiful biography of the life of Jesus Christ. And it's a moment where he's going public. He's beginning his public ministry that's going to mark the next three years of his life that's going to end in a cross, buried for three days, rising from the grave, giving testimony, establishing the church, ascending into heaven so that the Spirit of God might descend, empower his people, and carry this message all the way to you and to me. Going public. But it starts with a little bit of confusion, right? If you remember from last week when we talked about John the Baptist, We talked about how he was the forerunner. He was the one preparing the way. He's doing that. But then his Messiah, Savior, cousin shows up. And what happens? John was confused about Jesus being baptized. Why? John's baptism, if you remember, was a baptism of repentance. Jesus was sinless. Jesus did what you and I cannot do. He was perfect. You don't call perfection to change. You don't call perfection to turning around. 
John is understandably confused about why he would baptize this sinless Messiah. It says John would have prevented him. He didn't get it. You look down, though, in Jesus, he gives him an answer. His answer talks about, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. So Jesus says, hey, John, I know you don't get it. I know you want to come and prevent me, but I'm God. Trust me, you're going to do what I say, right? But he comes and he says, I'm going to prevent you. And Jesus says, no, 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 you got to trust me on this. I need to do this for thus it is fulfilling to fulfill all righteousness. It is an act of obedience, faithfulness, and fulfillment for God that Christ would be baptized. I want to talk about why. Why did it matter so much for him? Why does it matter so much for you and for me that Jesus went public? There's a whole lot of reasons for this, and we're going to tackle four of them. Tackle four. The first one we're going to see here is why is he doing this? Jesus' baptism was the coronation of the king. It was a moment of anointing by the power of God on Jesus Christ. This man wears the crown. If you remember from a few weeks ago, this man has the throne. My daughter, she's three and a half. She's awesome. We literally wear out on repeat through Disney Plus. Uh, Frozen, right? I could probably ask, I don't know, parents, if you know it, like you probably know every song. We're not going to sing them all right now, right? Her favorite is Into the Unknown or Into the Woods or I don't know, one of those, right? The first end of the movie, if you don't know it, you got to go see it. It probably should have won an Oscar, right? All of a sudden, there's this moment where there's a crowning of a princess. Princess Anna is crowned queen. Coronation. This is a moment of God Almighty crowning Jesus as Savior King. You see it in the language of the passage. Jesus, immediately when he went up from the water, And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. This is a public, miraculous anointing that Christ is king. Now, if you grew up in church or you've read your Bible, we have a tendency to like read things and skip over it. We have a tendency to not honestly put ourselves in the situation and think what this would have been like. Because you got to remember, these likely were Jews. Maybe some of them have been baptized. Maybe they were wrestling. They've journeyed out from Jerusalem. They're there. They're seeing the stage set. They've seen the works, likely, of John the Baptist and what he's doing in the message that he's been preaching of repentance. And then all of a sudden, the one that he had foretold shows up. The whole crowd would have been talking about it. There would have been whispers going everywhere that would have spread like wildfire. Wait, wait, that's him. That's the one John's talking about. That's the one. I I imagine, and we don't know, Jesus is going to be baptized. He comes. He perhaps meets with John on the bank of the Jordan River, and there's a discussion. People are wondering, what are they talking about? What are they talking about? John's likely in that moment saying, nah, man, I can't baptize you. You're perfection. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Here's why. And they journey into the water. The crowd's like, oh, my gosh, what's happening? They journey into the water. Down goes Jesus. He would have been up to his waist in the Jordan. He's going all the way under, y'all. And then he comes out. And we read past this like it's nothing. The heavens are rolled open. 
we don't know exactly what that would have been like. I somehow, with, with my biblically creative imagination, because you see this elsewhere in Scripture, I imagine there's this moment where the heavens are rolled and torn open. There's a looking up into the throne room of God and then descending. It wasn't a literal dove. The best language that they could put to this visible image of the Holy Spirit coming down, touching on Jesus Christ, was like a dove. And then they're going to hear the voice of God from the throne room of heaven. Absolutely miraculous. There's a reason right after this, as we continue working through chapter 4, this crowd had come and gathered around John. Chapter 4, that crowd's going to leave John. You know who they're going to follow? King Jesus. This would have been a moment people would have told their kids about, their grandkids about, their grandkids about, and then someone would have said, man, that couldn't be true. That couldn't be true. It was true. The crowning of the king, that's the first thing that's taking place that is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. What's another? Jesus' baptism, what else was it? It was a declaration of God's love. See, again, you got to be thinking, like, right here, there, you and I, like, we just sang. If you grew up in church or you're a Christian, right, we just sang how he loves. This is God declaring from the throne room of heaven how he loves. The language there, it says, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This verse, it carries a double meaning. We're going to unpack that second meaning in just a moment. But just at face value, the primary thing it's discussing is God's love for his son, Jesus. It shows how delighted he is in his son. It shows this eternal bond that they've had going all the way back, all the way forward, never beginning never begotten, eternally coexisting. My boy Tripp, he's eight and a half months. He can't walk, right? He can't talk. He can't really even like crawl. He does this like weird scoot thing where he drags his leg, but it's adorable. I will walk in my house. I'll walk in my house. And my son, he will see me and he will, as an eight-and-a-half-year-old, to the best of his ability, he, he doesn't really have all that much, right? But he'll just be sitting on the ground, and he'll literally just start smiling, making noise, and waving his arms up and down because he wants me to pick him up. I feel nothing but adoration for that boy. Nothing but love. This is my son. With him I am well pleased. Will he be an idiot in the future? For sure. Does he wake us up now? Absolutely. I love him. Here's the crazy thing, though, guys. There's this promise in Scripture that's for Christians. It changes everything. It says that Christians are in Christ. Here's what that means. What was true of Jesus is made true of those who believe right? The number of thing we talk about is righteousness from him is imputed righteousness to us. 
It means the blessings that God has for Jesus. It's like this spillover effect. Because as God looks at you, me, he sees through Jesus. And who is Jesus? He sees holiness, blamelessness, above reproach, beloved, son. That's who you are. Like, who's the person? Like, even if you don't have kids, you don't have to have kids. But when you think about them, it can be to a parent, it can be to a friend, it can be to your relationship with God, that when you think, man, there's just like real love. You don't manufacture it, you don't fake it. It's kind of like a soul ache. He feels that towards Christ. And because you're in Christ, it spills over onto you. It matters for fulfilling all righteousness. Let's look at another one. Jesus' baptism was, it's not just the coronation, it's not just the declaration, it was the affirmation. But what is it affirming? It is affirming Jesus' Messiah. I told you this passage right here in verse 16, it carried a double meaning. The second part of this meaning is God. He's actually quoting himself. Some of you might know this, this verse, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. The first half of that, this is my beloved son. That's a reference. It's a quote from Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. It's speaking to God's eternal love for Jesus. The next part, with whom I am well pleased. It is a reference. It is a quote from Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1. Right there in context, it's speaking to the reality that the Messiah would come as a suffering servant. What God is doing from the throne room of heaven is he is quoting himself through prophets he had sent. And these were messianic prophecies. God from the throne room is saying, this is the king. This is the Messiah. The one that I told you was coming, this is him. It's not just a crowning. It's a confirmation and affirmation of a title. Anybody last night? You guys are all great people, so I'm sure you didn't. Watch the UFC fight? Yeah, me neither. Me neither. Right? Okay. You're great. Okay. Right? The UFC fight, it's like boxing. You come, you duke it out, don't watch it, whatever, glorify God. All that to say, at the end of these fights, here's what happens. At the end of these fights, there's a referee. It's in the middle of the octagon. There's two fighters. Now, at the end of this one, there was an obvious winner due to second round submission. We'll move past that, right? But the referee comes up, holds both fighters' hands right there in the middle, and the audience is wondering, and the referee's waiting. It's going off the announcer, and there's going to come a moment where the referee is going to raise the winner's hand. As soon as they raise the winner's hand, what happens? Out of nowhere comes a title belt. Y'all seen those belts? You know what I'm talking about, those big ones? Okay, maybe you are like WWE people, but I don't connect with that as well, right? But it's this belt that comes where out of nowhere somebody comes, throws the belt around the new champ, and they get the title. They carry the title. They are the champ. Not in a foolish UFC kind of way, but in a beautiful, divine, I have promised you from eternity past, he was coming. He came for you. He came for me. This is God giving Jesus the belt. This is God giving Jesus the title. The one I foretold is here. Going public. What's a fourth reason? What's a fourth reason why it's befitting to fulfill all righteousness? You see this in the act of the baptism itself. You see this. Jesus, he would have walked into the water. 
he would have been taken by John. He likely, right, he would have crossed his arms. Why? It just feels most natural. Probably plugged his nose because he, though being God, still man, would get water up his nose. And John the Baptist would have brought him down. And then he would have raised him up. This was not a baptism of repentance, but it was in anticipation of what was to come. There would be a moment where he would be raised up on a cross, where on that cross he would bear the penalty of my sin and of yours. He would take those sins and he would be killed by God. His life would not be lost. He would lay it down. He would do so, though he was righteous, to identify with you and me, the unrighteous. An aspect of why it was fulfilling to fulfill all righteousness is Jesus' baptism was the identification of Jesus with sinners. People like you, someone like me. It's this beautiful, crazy thought where literally in the action itself, and the people then, they wouldn't have fully understood it. We, looking back, right, with the illumination of God's Spirit, we get it in a different way. The mystery becomes a little clearer. We can look back, and there is in this moment, out of many ways that's fulfilling, there is a recognition of, hey, here's why I'm coming. I'm not coming for the healthy. The healthy have no need of a physician. I've come for the sick, and you are sick. I'm going to die. And I'm coming back. It's going to prefigure the Christian celebration, the act of obedience in baptism. But it's this moment where you have to recognize he's going public with even a meaning. He's coming to identify with you and with me. It's this idea, and they wouldn't have understood it, but we can now. And the action He's telling the people there, the brood of vipers, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the folks in doubt, the folks who've newly come to the realization that they are saved by faith in the promises of God. He's identifying with them. It's this idea of, I'm with you. I've come for you. I'm with you. My wife and I, we have this saying, we've had it ever since we got married, where whenever things are difficult or hard or they get tough, There's this moment where it's kind of like we come back, there's a huddle, or or you're in the foxhole together, and there's just this quick reference of, hey, no matter what happens, no matter where this goes, no matter the brokenness, no matter the pain, no matter, I'm with you. I'm with you. Jesus was coming, and he was saying, no matter your brokenness, no matter your pain, no matter your problems, no matter the things in your life that you can't quit, but you even act like you're fine and you don't need to quit, but in reality you need to quit, no matter the self-righteousness that literally coats your spiritual journey and it reeks to others, but to you it smells like perfume, no matter, it's him saying, I'm with you. I'm with you. He's going public. He's going to start this moment in this ministry. And you know where this ministry is going to end? It'll end at a cross. Jesus, he actually hears God speak to him through heaven three times that we know recorded through Scripture. There's a moment here. There's a moment on the Mount of Transfiguration. We're going to cover that later. And there's a moment on the cross. 
The moment it begins here, this is my son with whom I am well pleased, a declaration of love. The one on the cross, it's going to be not God talking to Christ, but Christ talking back to God. And he will yell, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For you, for me. His public ministry, the way he starts it, that's how he will not finish it because it doesn't end there. He comes back for you and for me and he gives new life. Jesus goes public. Guys, you got to remember, your faith, your belief in Jesus, it is deeply personal. It's so personal. You have a testimony that you and God alone truly know the depths of. It's not private. It is not private. Don't you dare keep that to yourself, what he's done for you. He has come. He's claimed you, according to Ephesians 1. He's chosen, called out, blessed, bestowed, made an heir in which you will become a part of God's inheritance. And he went public. So what do we do? We go public. One of the ways that we do that, one of the things that Christ's baptism, it was coming, is it prefigured, it pointed to Christian baptism. You see, the same way Jesus came to identify with sinners, Christian baptism, though, it's a little different. See, Christian baptism, if you know this, it doesn't save you. Like, if you're baptized or not baptized, that does not guarantee you entrance into heaven. But for those who have been transformed by the grace of God, who know redemption, who are going to heaven, they are baptized. Because it is a public declaration. It is going public about how much he loves you. Where he identified with sinners, we come and instead we identify with the Son. Where the old John, my dysfunction, my brokenness, my baggage, symbolically it is laid in the water. The old me has passed away. I'm dead in the grave with Christ. He paid the penalty. I don't have to bear the scars or the shame. Why? He had pierced hands. He had nailed feet. And then it's a show. I was raised in newness of life. And it's a moment for me where I came and it was a sense of I'm going public. I'm telling the world. I'm not telling the world because I have to. I'm not telling the world because if I tell them, that means I'm going to heaven. I'm telling the world because it's the greatest gift that's ever been given. There's a reason he went public then. And if he did all that for me, man, I'm going public now. That's why Christians get baptized. That's why Christians obey the call to baptism. See, baptism in your Bible, it's one of these actions where it's meant to mark a follower of Christ in the reality of conversion. Again, and I'm trying to overstress this, it does not add to conversion. But for those who have been changed, for those who understand what's taken place, they come and they say, I want to obey. It's a first act of obedience. You don't have to have your life together. Sometimes people think, well, man, I got some things I got to get together before I can come and be baptized. No, 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 no. That, that's not how this works. 
You're identifying with, you'll never fully have it together. You're marked by him. You tell people that, and then let's go. And we get baptized. So one of the things I'm so excited to do today, I didn't sleep that well last night. Why? Because I was so excited to get to do this today, is we're going to baptize some friends. We are going to celebrate this beautiful gift of faith where people, they begin they continue, and they commit until the day that God brings them home to going public. Why? There's people like you, and there's people like me that either need to be reminded or need to be told, and God said to. So here's what I want to do. I want to invite up a dear uh, family friend of mine. I want to invite up my brother in Christ, Levi Smith, who's going to get baptized, is his mom and dad, Elena. Come and bring him up. If y'all would, please give a round of applause for Levi Smith. Come on, brother. Levi, it was fun getting to hang out with him this week, even as we were in preparation for this. His excitement and just his heart. How old are you? Nine years old. And in that moment, he gave verbiage and language to a description of the gospel that had actually changed him. That when I was nine, I wouldn't have known up from down. So brother, you and your family, we're excited to hear from you. Hi, everybody. Today I'm being baptized, and I think you should too if you haven't already. (laughs) (laughs) He's right. If you're a Christian, he's right. We'll make space. So, I was told to write kind of like a paragraph, so I'm going to say that today. I know that I'm going to heaven, even though I've done bad things. I believe that the gospel is true, and I'm excited to be baptized, because I already accepted Jesus into my heart, and I want to make my relationship with Jesus official. (laughs) (laughs) He's practiced, sorry. By telling the world he is my savior. I love it. Let's Let's give that round of applause. Here y'all, Levi. Come on back. Come on back, brother. Here. We'll let your dad, your family, you climb on in there. We, we tried to warm this up. It's a nice, crispy, probably 60 degrees. So it's just going to be great. He's definitely going to wake up after this, right? Hey, man, if you want to step on in there. <laughs> man, Levi with your family, with your friends. It is our privilege to come. And because of your profession of faith that you have been saved by grace because of the love of Jesus Christ, it is our privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. All right. Come on! Come on! <laughs> I love it. Here we go. It's a slippery tub. You know, we got to help them out. Hey, one of the things is, is they're transitioning off. You might be sitting there and you might be wondering, oh man, why, why in the world would John make that sweet, kind, gracious, loving, faithful nine-year-old Come up on stage, take a mic, oh, it's still there, 
take a mic and share in front of all these people. Going public. You do that to the awareness and the saving grace that's in the age of a nine-year-old, and then wherever you are, that's what you are meant to do. It is a call to faithfulness. It's a beautiful thing. The next friend that I want to invite up, I'm going to invite up Taylor and her fiancé, Chris. Right? They're going to come up, and they're also going to celebrate through the act of faithfulness and baptism. So if y'all would, please give them a round of applause. Hey, come on up. I love it. Here, come on in here. Okay. All right. So good morning, church. My name is Taylor Soderman. Um, I'm pretty new to the Springs community, and I'm very grateful for the warm welcome that welcome. Pull that, that up a little bit. That's all right. All right. It's intimidating up here. She's doing great. Okay, so um, my life before accepting Christ uh, was full of sin. It was full of darkness and despair. Um, It was a constant cycle of crippling shame and guilt. A little over a year ago, I came to a breaking point. And it was at this point in my life that I had to become, become honest with myself I'd recognized my sin, and I'd recognized my need to declare Jesus Christ as my Savior. I began to grow with the Lord and began to heal. From a lonely life of depression, addiction, and anxiety, I began to hope. I began to love, be loved, to live, and transform. God truly opened the doors to peace, grace, love, and a life where I can see good through him. I want to thank Kelly. Pastor John, and my fiancé, Chris, for helping me along the journey and for all of the loving support. Though I am terrified of public speaking and crowds, I recognize the importance of being up here to declare Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, to express my excitement and my gratitude to be baptized. Thank you. All right. Yeah, it's like bath water, except not. Um, Taylor, it is such a joy with your fiance, Chris, with your dear friend, Kelly. It is our privilege to baptize you because of your faith in Jesus Christ, that you have been saved by grace through him, to baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Yeah! (laughs) I love it. Thanks, y'all. Thanks, y'all. Guys, here's the thing. That's a beautiful moment. It is a divine declaration. It is something that they and their future can look back on. It's almost a grace and the assurance of faith itself. but it's something that we are meant to do all the time. No, they'll never again need to come, get in the water to go back down. But the moment when they come and they engage with a neighbor, they see a colleague, they get a phone call from a friend that they haven't talked to in a long time that's hurting and is reaching out for a lifeline and they can feel the sense of, hey, do you have a hope that I have? Going public, it's not a one-time thing. 
going public. It is personal. It's never private. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you've never been baptized, come talk to us. Do we love it when folks celebrate and give grace to God from the stage? Of course. But man, we'll go take you to the river, but you are going to publicly testify to friends and family to the grace of God if you want our help being baptized. Why? That is who Christians are. That is what Christ did. And he loves helping people like me, helping folks like us do that. He's crazy about you. He's crazy about them. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the grace of life transformation. God, I even reflect on just how you do that here at the Springs. You are consistently doing that. You are changing lives. You are taking Christians who've walked with you and known you and transforming that to where they abide, they repent of sin, they grow in love and joy, and lives are changing. You are taking non-believers, and you are taking folks who, just like I once was, you are pulling back the scales and you are bringing grace. We thank you for that gift. God, here's our prayer. Do it again. Do it again, God. Do it a thousandfold and find us so faithful that we know you want to do this, but find us so faithful you'll use us. Help me to go public. Help us to do the same. Whether that be through a step of baptism or telling a neighbor, may we live for you. We sure do love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Guys, we appreciate y'all joining us. Everyone joining us online through just the video recording. Thank you. We do want to let you guys know that baptism, you follow that with celebration, with rejoicing. We don't really have a way to do that today. But anybody who wants to come, and there's no real plan for this, is I'm just going to go try to take over that porch at that Mexican restaurant called Herbert's. There's no saved seats. There's no tables. I don't know what the weather is like, but I'm going to go hang out with some friends, get to know them even more than I already do, and celebrate that. If you want to come fight for a table, see what happens, we'd love to invite you. But either way, thank you all for joining. Before we go to dismiss folks by sections, I do pray. Y'all have a great week of worship. 